Well, good morning. Question for you this Sunday morning is, how would you live if you knew it was the end of the world? This is a much different question than how would you live if it was a zombie apocalypse taking place? Um, uh, I think in my life, uh, I've, I've planned for the zombie apocalypse. I know what I would do if there's a zombie outbreak that happened. I know exactly where I would go, how I would be fortified, the defenses, everything like that, for something that will never actually happen in life. But as TV and movies would portray, um, maybe, maybe one day. How would you live if you knew the world was ending? A much different question, but a question that we know will happen. We'll have to be prepared for. How will we live if the world is ending? I think for some of us, if we knew the world could end tomorrow, we would just go on vacation. And we would just never come back, and we would just be on a beach somewhere when the world was finally over. I think for some of us, we would just start eating whatever we wanted to eat. We would stop the workouts right now, and we would just go, everything we went to would just be a buffet. I know back home in Texas, we had a place called CC's Pizza. It was an all-you-could-eat pizza buffet, and I would probably just live there. For some of us, we'd just probably watch whatever we wanted to watch. We'd probably catch up on every movie, every TV show that we missed out on. For some of us, we'd just take those magical little rectangular plastic cards in our wallets, and we'd just start maxing them out everywhere we went, everything we ever wanted. Now, those are some things we could do and not live in sin. Now, there's also, we could go loot things. We could go steal whatever. We could go do whatever we wanted, certainly There's two sides of it at the end of the world. What Peter is asking us to do today as we continue on in 1 Peter is to think with the mindset that in any moment, the world could end. At any moment, Jesus could come back, and he gives us instruction and tells us exactly how to live in the end. And he does so in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Our big idea, the one point that we need to take home today is that we need to embrace the end in the way that we live. We need to embrace the end in the way that we live. If we look right there in verse 7, the very beginning, it says, the end of all things is at hand. Now, for those of you who read through the Bible and you start to ask good questions along the way, you have to ask the question, well, wasn't this written over 2,000 years ago? And the answer is yes. It is absolutely, this was written over 2,000 years ago by Peter to the dispersed, persecuted church, believers that have been scattered. So if the end of all things was at hand then, and it is now 2,000 years later, what is going on? 
ultimately what Peter is saying, being a disciple of Jesus, somebody that lived and walked and talked and slept and ate with Jesus during his three years of ministry here on earth, as someone who saw him crucified, resurrected, and then ascend into heaven. What Peter is saying is that Jesus has won. Jesus has died, and he has died for our sin. Jesus has resurrected, and he came back. He came back resurrected, fully God, fully man. He talked with us. He spoke to us. Some guys saw him on the road to Emmaus. Jesus is alive. He made himself known, and 40 days after he resurrected, he ascended into heaven. Jesus has won, and because of that, because of that fact that Jesus has won, he died, he resurrected, he ascended into heaven. That makes it to where the end of all things is now at hand, because now Jesus has the ability to come back at any time. So the question is, how do I embrace the end in light of Jesus's victory? Four points we take out of the scripture today. We do, we embrace the end in light of Jesus's victory by being self-controlled, being sober-minded, by showing real love, being hospitable, and serving one another. Verse 7 says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. What verse 7 is saying is show self-control. This is in direct opposition to what Peter is referencing back to that we talked about last week in verse 3. This is in opposition to being drunk, which I know we have a lot of kids in here. That's just when you drink way too many juice boxes, okay? Peter's not saying don't drink. Obviously, drinking is something that took place in communion. Um, We don't do that here. This is something that took place with Jesus. What Peter's saying is, hey, Believers, believers in the end, keep your head clear. Remain in control of your body. Don't fill your body with garbage that will pollute your thought process. Do not give yourself over to the control of a substance. Do not let a substance influence your life. Do not let a substance provide an escape for you. Why? For the sake of of your prayers. Why do we need to be clear-minded? Why do we need to be in control? Peter says, for the sake of your prayers. Because the only escape that we have as believers that is not sin, that doesn't put an idol up above Jesus, is running to Jesus, and we run to Jesus in prayer. Stay clear-headed. Stay sober-minded. Stay self-controlled so that you can pray. And when you pray, pray together. Pray individually. Pray often. Pray for the kingdom to come. Pray for God's will to be done. Because as the enemy's attacks against your life, as the persecution from other people goes up, as the opposition against you as a believer in a culture that disagrees with everything that you are about, as opposition goes up, so should your prayer. As opposition goes up, your use of a substance should not go up. As opposition goes up, your use of prayer should go up. This is the part of the battle where you are most needed. This is the part of the battle where you peek your head up out of the trenches. This is the part of the battle where you begin to rely on God more and more and more and more. Do not turn your back on the spiritual things of life by turning to something that will help you to escape them. Things are only going to get worse. 
for those who truly believe. Persecution is only going to ramp up more and more and more the closer that Jesus gets to coming back. Rely on prayer. We have something in us within the flesh that is always going to choose flight over fight when it comes to spiritual things. And so replace this fleshly desire to fly, to flee away from suffering, away from trials, and away from persecution, and choose to stand and fight spiritually by relying on prayer. Now, this is beautiful. This is something that Peter does a couple times today, but he gets a little reminiscent of his life back with Jesus. And what we see him reminisce on here is this part where he says, therefore be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. The end is at hand. This is ultimately him referring back to when him, John, and James were in the garden. Not the garden of Eden, but the garden towards the end of Jesus's life, the garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus says, all right, boys, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna pray. And while I'm over here praying, I need you to take care of business. I need you to stay awake. I need you to stay alert. And I need you to pray for my, on my behalf. Can you do that? Yeah, Jesus, we got you, we got you, we got you. And as Jesus goes away, he says, be watchful. He goes away and he prays and he comes back. And whether, what are Peter, James, and John doing? They are sawing logs. Absolutely. They are asleep. Be watchful. This is a flashback from Peter the very person that fell asleep in the garden while Jesus asked him to be watchful. Stay sharp here at the end. That was towards the end of Jesus' life. Be watchful, Peter. Now Peter reminds his audience, the early church, he reminds us this morning, be watchful. Because now Jesus is on his way to return. Stay sharp. Pray hard like your life and the salvation of others depends on it. Verse 8 we see that Peter is saying, show real love. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since sin covers a, since love, whoo! That's not what it said. We're going to start over. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love, thank you, six of you, covers a multitude of sins. Peter is saying, show real love. And this is in direct opposition to lawlessness that he brought forth last week. What he is saying is, as believers towards the end, as scattered believers that are being persecuted against, be known for your love. Be known for the way that you love other people and realize that love lets things go. Love forgives. There are not going to be many of you and because there are not going to be many of you believers, as you live persecuted and in trials, your stress is going to be high. Surely you will sin against each other. As you continue to sin against each other, continue to forgive one another. If you don't forgive each other, then your relationships are going to be destroyed. There won't be unity within the church. There will be disunity, which is what the enemy is always going after. So if you keep loving one another even though you keep sinning against each other, whether on purpose or on accident, the church will remain unified. Again, a flashback in Peter's life, and this time a flashback, Matthew 18, 21 through 22. Then Peter came up, to, then Peter came up and said to him, this is Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? 
Now that's a lot of times, especially if someone is sinning the same thing against you seven times over. Verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. As your brother, as your sister in Jesus, sin against you, even if they are not in Jesus, what are we called to do? Forgive them over and 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 over again. And clearly, once again, when Jesus said this to Peter, forgiveness was obviously something that he was struggling with. Somebody had hurt Peter. Peter had forgiven this person probably a few times. Jesus, should I, should I go the extra mile and forgive them seven times? Jesus says, no, Peter, 77 times. And he wasn't saying 77 times. He was saying, keep on forgiving that person. But why? Why does our love need to be real? Why does our love need to be sincere? Why does our love need to be fervent towards other people, especially towards other believers? That is because love covers a multitude of sin. Here, Peter is directly referencing Proverbs 10, 12. When you are wrong, it is hard to let people go. Why? Because they don't deserve for you to let them go. Why is it hard for them to, you to let them go? It's hard because they hurt you. What Peter's reminding the church here is remember that you have been let go of your sin. We will say this over and over and over in the life of our church because it is so easy for us to lose sight of this. We let people go because we have been let go. Continue to love other people. And as you love them with grace, with compassion, let them go. And they will let you go. And you will continue to live on in unity towards the end of days as the church and the will and on mission for Jesus in the will of God. I think uh, the great theologian Queen Elsa of Arendelle put it a great way when she said, let it go, let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. Let it go, let it go. Turn away and slam the door. I don't care what they're going to say. Let the storm rage on. Their sins never bother me anyway. Slight change, slight change. Disney, uh, we're in a lawsuit right now because of that, but it, we're going to be all right. I think ultimately what Peter is saying here is let your love be a fire blanket. There was a blanket that was invented. I have no idea when, by whom. I have no idea who invented it, but I do know what this blanket does. If there is a fire, you can grab this blanket and you can put it out. And I'm going to ask for the help of somebody this morning. Joe, if you'll come up front here. Now, I'm not saying Joe's on fire because of his looks, because of his stature, anything like that. But this morning, we are going to pretend that Joe has sinned against me. And as a fire blanket works, if there is a fire, you take that blanket and you throw it over the flame. And what that blanket does is it cuts off oxygen to that flame so that that flame cannot burn any longer. If Joe sins against me, I'm going to take my love and my grace and my compassion and I am going to cover Joe with it. And Joe is no longer going to sin against me and I'm going to make sure that there's no oxygen to this sin right here. And then I'm going to remove it 
from Joe. I'm so sorry, Joe. Hey, are you sorry because you sinned against me? I'm not sorry. Are you sorry? Did I mess up your hair? All right, I know, I know. And then Joe sins against me again. And what do I do? I take my love and my grace and my compassion and I extinguish the fire once again. Joe, thank you so much for your help this morning. You can go sit down. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Appreciate you, bro. We have to keep forgiving one another. We have to keep choking out the oxygen that goes to our sin, that fuels and fans the flame of the sin in our lives. Joe, I see what you did there. You threw that blanket so I'd trip on it, all right? I still forgive you, man. <laughs> Thank you. We are gracious. We are compassionate. In verse 9, we show hospitality. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. We show hospitality. And then this is in direct opposition to something we also read about last week in verse 3. Um, <clears throat> I won't say the word, but you can go back in verse 3 and read that if you have your Bible with you. We'll just say that this is in direct opposition to being over-hospitable, okay, with your things, um, to being over-hospitable with your person. Instead of being over-hospitable with your person, be hospitable with your property. And now this is deep-rooted in the culture back then, if you've seen the movie Tangled, you will know why. This is the Snuggly Duckling Inn right here. Um, and and I, I kid you not, you want to know what these guys are named? In the, in the casting, I didn't like go back and look, I just Googled it. But in the, cast, in the cast list of the movie Tangled, these guys are known as the Pub Thugs, all right? I know you hear Pub Thugs and you think that was a rap group me and Jacob had in the late 90s. But this is the pub thugs right here. And anytime you would enter into an inn during culture, during this time, it was dangerous because the pub thugs were waiting on you. The pub thugs would have seen this person as a Christian and then more trials, more persecution, more horrible circumstances you did not want in your life would come against you. Thank you, Eric. We can go back to the scripture now. We show hospitality. We welcome people in, in a world that is cold, in a world that is isolated, in a world that says stay away and apart from each other, we are called to be warm. We're called to be welcoming. We're called to be open with everything that we have. And we're called to be gracious hosts. There was not Airbnb. There was not Verbo back then. You had no other network of places to stay when you traveled that would have been safe if you were a believer outside of the church. And so be hospitable so that the church can grow. Be hospitable to those outside of the church so they can feel the love of Jesus and they can come into relationship with him. Why? Because you have been welcomed in, into the family of God through the work of Jesus on the cross, through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection, through his victory. We are not basing our worthiness and our being welcomed in into this family off of what we do. Not off of our morality, not off of our works. We are not basing it off of the potential of what God can do in us after we give our lives to him and begin a relationship with him. What we are basing our being welcomed in and our receiving hospitality from God off of is his love for us and his concern for us. That we were lost, we were wondering, we were broken, we were dirty, we were without a way to God. And God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but should inherit everlasting life.
God made a way through Jesus. God was hospitable to us through Jesus. And so now we as the church are hospitable to other people. God has blessed us with many things. It is now time that we bless other people with many things. And then he says, don't complain about it. Don't complain about being hospitable. I think Peter knew. I think Peter knew that these people had a different idea of what you should do in a home than these people. I think Peter knew that these people didn't wear shoes in their house. And these people over here, they wore shoes in their house. And when the shoes in their house people go to the no shoes in their house people, there's going to be some squabbling going on, okay? There's going to be, oh, we don't wear shoes in our house. And you leave them at the front door, and then the people that no shoes in their house go to the people with shoes in their house. The people with shoes in their house look at the people with no shoes in their house, and they say, hey, why you got shoes? Where's your shoes? That's weird that you took your shoes off in my house. And you're all looking at me like I'm crazy. But you start going to some people's houses, and you're going to know. Should I take my shoes off in here? You're going you're gonna to question it everywhere you go from now on. Here's some places you don't have to take your shoes off. The gas station, the grocery store, work. Okay, everywhere else you should probably question it. Hosting is hard. Even while it is hard, we are not to grumble, we are not to grovel, we are not to complain about it. It is hard because it costs us relationally. We do life different than other people. It costs us. Physically, it takes time, it takes energy, it takes strength to make sure that your house is ready for people to come over. To say, hey, I am ready for you. I have prepared for you. Come into my home. It will cost you financially to make sure that there's food on the table. To make sure that you can provide for their needs as you host them. Why? Why are we not to complain about our hosting? Is because what is inside always comes out. That is why we are to have Jesus at the core of who we are because Jesus will always make his way to the exterior. If we are grumbling, even on the inside, when it comes to our hosting, we are not going to be the host that God has called us to be. Instead, we are going to hold something against this person. Do not grumble, do not grovel, do not complain. If you do not really want them there, they will be able to tell. So be known. For your love, be known for your openness. This is our number one strategy as a church. This is what God has called us to do within this community. Our mission statement as a church is that Asante Church exists to create community to discover true life in Jesus. We live within a culture that is very based around discovery. People are looking for something. There's something in their lives that is not quite scratching that itch. They're not feeling fulfillment in their lives by their current way of living. And so they're looking for something. They want to discover something. And so our goal as a church is to create community, to bring people together, to point other people to the truth, to true life in Jesus, because we know and we have found and our lives have been changed by Jesus. And we know that life will only be changed by Jesus. We know that satisfaction, fulfillment, living within God's will will only happen through Jesus. And so what do we do as a host? Or what do we do as a church? We host and we show hospitality. We host people in our homes, and we do that through home groups, through Bible study, through sharing meals. My home group tonight, we're having Midwest Cuisine Night, and I'm super excited about that because we have a couple in our church that is from Chicago, and I heard they're making at least 1,500 Chicago dogs, and I plan on eating 500 of those Chicago dogs, and my home group is the best, and we have such good meals, and then we dive into God's Word together, and we dive into relationship with one another, and we live life along side each other. We host in our homes. 
We host events for the community to meet a need so that our community can come out of their houses instead of just closing their garages behind them. They can come out of their homes and they can actually meet their next door neighbor. We have people that we're surrounded by that are lonely people. And here we are as the church to not only give them community and relationship that is horizontal, but to give them community in a way to talk to God through the work of Jesus, to have relationship with him. We host, we're hospitable as a church. And then once a week we host a worship service and we are hospitable to the people within our community that come in. Why? Yeah, so we can fellowship for sure. That's definitely a part of it, but that's not the only part of it to give them the good news of Jesus, to show them that they are sinful, that they are dirty, that they are broken, just like the rest of us. By the way, if it's your first time here, welcome to Asante Church. We are all jacked up people. (laughs) Promise. Promise that's not changing, but we're going to be a little bit more like Jesus. Hopefully every Sunday we show up. Hopefully every day that we woke up, we host a worship service so that we can share the good news, so that we can worship and honor and glorify the name of Jesus and that we can point our community to the good news of Jesus giving his life for them to make them right before God. Now, when I say that we are to host, that we are to be hospitable, what I think Peter is ultimately leading to, what I think we need to aim for as a church is we just need to be Legos that are built upon the foundation of Jesus. And so today I have a Lego pegboard. And this Lego pegboard represents the good news of Jesus that changed our lives, the foundation in which we build our lives upon. And I have secretly and somewhat unsecretly given a bunch of your kids Lego pieces this morning. And so kids, why don't you come on down to the front? I'm going to need those Lego pieces back. I'm sorry, you can't take them home. My girls didn't even know I was going to steal their Lego pieces to do this this morning. They'd be very disappointed. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Oh, goodness, look at all these Lego pieces. We're going to build these on the foundation. This man kept his in his shoe. That is what's up. And the biggest kid of all. Thank you, little Jonesy. Boom, you're the man. All right, thank you so much, all the kids in the house. Now, this is the foundation that we build our lives on. This foundation is Jesus and the truth of the gospel. When we give our lives to him, you might be a very relational, high-capacity person. We're just going to plug this in to the Lego board here. It's going to snap in just like that. You might be a 14-pegged person. You can have 14 very good, high-capacity, high-quality relationships. You can get so many more people plugged in to the truth of the gospel through the community of the church by the way that God has designed you and through your hospitality. And so we stack on top of you. You invite somebody else to church because you are hospitable, because we are hospitable to them. We are prepared for them. We have the gospel for them. Then that person gives their lives to Jesus. They are then impacted and have a foundation that is built on Jesus through you. Now we do that over and over and over. We have a lot of Legos that are stacked upon a lot of Legos that are because of relationships, because of people trusting Jesus, not just with their lives, not just with their time, not just with their Sunday mornings, but with their relationships and them being hospitable. Now, this is a little two-piecer right here. Maybe you're a little two-piece person. That didn't really come out right, but maybe you have a low relational capacity. Maybe you're a one-piece person. You feel like, God, I just don't really have a whole lot to give to you. And because of that, I just, God, I don't know how you are going to use me. Well, if you are faithful, 
with the life and the relational capacity that God has given you, you may be a one peg, one brick person that then connects somebody that is a 20 brick person. Be faithful. That's what I'm saying. Be faithful with your hospitality. Be faithful to the relational capacity that God has given you. Not only that, rely on the Holy Spirit to grow your capacity even more. Because as you make friends here in the community, as you make friends at work, and as you love and lead your family, you are a Lego piece that is stuck into the foundation of the gospel, that is building on top of the foundation that is Jesus. And as you meet people, and as you bring people to church, and as you tell them about Jesus, as you love them, serve them, and live alongside them, they are stacking their Lego brick on top of you. And even if you just have the capacity for one person, and you are diligent for that one person, you never know what their life is going to be. I guarantee you the person that led Billy Graham to Jesus had no idea the person he was leading to Jesus. But look at how God used that. Be faithful with our hospitality. Finally, serve one another, verses 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's very grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What Peter is saying is simply this, serve one another. This is in direct opposition to what he says in verse four last week, which is you will be maligned. Do not malign other people, but instead embrace them and serve them as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now this could also be translated as God's manifold grace. Now, basically what this is describing as manifold or God's varied grace is a bunch of different people that are a bunch of different colors. Now, this word manifold was used to describe a very colorful outfit that when light hit it, light would reflect off of it or shine through it a number of different colors. What Peter is saying here is that our gifts and the way that we serve, paint a picture of light shining through us as God's love shines through us to other people. It's going to look different when God shines his love through you than when God shines his love through me. It's much like what Paul says when he says that the gifts that we have make us different members of the same body. Some of you are the left arm, some of you are the right leg, some of you are the left ear, some of you are the eyes, some of you are the nose, some of you are the brain, some of you are the muscles. We serve other people. And when we come together and we serve other people together, not separate, but together, it is a much more beautiful picture. And then Peter gives us two ways in which we are to serve, and that is first in speaking, in the teaching, and the preaching of the word. He says, let it be spirit-filled and let it be spiritually strengthening. And then he says, serve in strength. Serve in doing what needs to be done. Serve in God's strength. This isn't just you using your own gifts. This isn't just you using your own strength. Use God's strength. Where you are gifted already, let the Holy Spirit move into that and let him explode that. Let him multiply that exponentially in the way that he puts that to work in the church. But do not rely on your own strength. Rely on the strength of the Holy Spirit where you are not gifted. 
rely on the strength of the Holy Spirit. I think a lot of times when it comes to service within the church, we think, okay, well, this is what I'm passionate about. Okay, well, this is what I feel comfortable doing. And that is not what service in the church is. That's what service looks like outside of the Holy Spirit. That's what service looks like outside of God's strength. But that is not what we're called to do. We are called to lean completely on the strength of God through the Holy Spirit inside of us. So if you're called to serve somewhere and you're uncomfortable with it, that's great because that means that where your strength lets up and where the job actually needs to be done at, the Holy Spirit will fill that gap. That means that you are not getting the glory for filling that position. Now God is getting the glory for you filling that position. And as Peter would say, and as Paul would also say, it takes all of us, all of us serving if the church is going to work correctly. It's going to take all of us serving one another if we are going to continue to strengthen each other spiritually. It's going to take all of us serving if we're going to continue to reach out. Why? Why do we serve each other? We serve each other because it leads to the one thing that our lives should be about entirely, and that is bringing God glory through Jesus. Realize that we could not serve, we could not bring God glory if it weren't for the work of Jesus on the cross. If it weren't for his sacrifice, nothing we could bring before the Lord. The Lord would look down at it and say, oh man, that is beautiful. Now the Bible actually says our works are like filthy rags. We don't want that to be the case. And in Jesus, in us receiving his righteousness and him taking our sin, now we can serve God. And through Jesus, that bring God the glory. And so as the church, we continue to move on and we glorify God through the way that we serve. Now, I just want to call all of the members of this church to have a little family meeting right now. If this is your first time, I'm not talking to you. You can chill for a little bit. But if this is a place that you call your church home, this morning I want to call you to serve. Our church is growing. I know that you've seen it. I know that you've experienced it. I promise you haven't seen it and you haven't experienced it like everybody that serves in the back every single Sunday. Our kids' ministry is growing. Our student ministry is growing. Our preschool, toddler, baby ministries are all growing. What I want to do as a church this morning is if you call Sante Church your home, I want to call you to serve. We have about 20 people that serve pretty close to every single Sunday right now. And it's actually a rotation of closer to 30 to 40 people. If we as a church said, that will not happen on my watch, those people will not burn out on my watch. And if we said, I will serve wherever is needed, one Sunday a month, we can pull this thing off even more. I think we have to remember that when we serve, it's not because of we want to inconvenience ourselves. But when we serve, we become more like Jesus because we put the needs of other people before our own. When we serve other people because of Jesus, we can now glorify God the Father. So if you are in here this morning, we pass these cards out around the room, every other seat. If you have one and you notice somebody next to you and uh, they look familiar like they go here most of the time, you just pick that card up. If they don't have it, you hand it to them. This is a service card right here. These are the serving opportunities within our church. You can serve on the First Impressions team, the kids team, preschool team, AV team, missions team, setup and teardown team, worship team, and other. Other is student ministry. 
And I would say two big places right now, kids ministry and student ministry need people to serve in those places. And so if you call this your home, I would ask that you would at least once a month, that you would stand up, that you would put others' needs before you, that you would serve other people so that you can be like Jesus and having their concern over yours, but also so that we can give God the glory. I would ask that you would pray over that, but that you wouldn't pray over that for two weeks. You don't have to pray about where to serve for too long. You know that God wants you to serve somewhere if you're not serving anywhere. And so take the remainder of today's service, pray that you would pray over that, ask you to pray over that, and then on your way out, that you would just turn it in to the giving box. If you're not sure of where to serve, I, I got a lot of ideas where you could. And so just right on there, I don't know, but I am down for the cause, okay? I want to glorify God. We want to see more people come to know Jesus. We want to be Legos that are built on top of the foundation of the gospel, which puts other people before ourselves. We want to become more like Jesus as we walk and as we grow in our relationship with him. And for a lot of us, that next step is going to be serving. I call you to it. There's going to be a time where Jesus comes back. And when he comes back, he will either see that we are spending our time and investing our time glorifying and serving him, or he will see us trying to escape what he has called us to as we run to anything else. I would ask you this morning, prayerfully consider how you will glorify God in your service. Let's pray.